Our speaker this morning is Miss Valerie Rickard. Before I do that, though, before I talk about Valerie, which there's a lot of cool things to say, I just got a text um, from my friend who said that his son Easton is here today. Where's Easton? All right. I'm supposed to give you a big hug, Easton. Welcome to Watermark. All right. All right. So anyway, Valerie Rickard is our speaker today, and she hails from the Lone Star State. All right. In first service, it was crickets when I said that. All right. She has been married to Jeremy, her husband, for 20 years, and they have two kids, Colby and Tatum, and they are crazy cool. There you go. She has served in children's ministry for 18 years, 11 of those in leadership, and the last six years have been in ministry with children, couples, women, and families. Ordained into the ministry in February of 2017, she currently serves in We Watermark and is part of, and I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it says is part of the amazing Ross Landing House Church. Is that true? Is it amazing? Okay, all right. All right. So, Valerie will be up here in just a minute. But first, let's bring up Heather with Valerie's scripture reading. All right. Um, Today, we will be reading from James chapter 1, verses 2 through 5, 12 through 20, and 26. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because, having stood the test, That person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Hi everyone, my name's Valerie. Um, For those of you that are here that know me, you know I love you. And if you don't know me, I already love you too. Because that's the gift that the Lord gave me is to see the good in you even if you don't. So if you're ever wondering, ask me. I'll tell you because he's already shown me. 
Um, so this is my husband, Jeremy. Raise your hand. Yeah. <laughs> He's so much more than his amazing beard. Um, he is a massive reader. And a lot of times when he'll read a book, he'll give me the takeaway, whatever that one takeaway was. Well, today is going to look a lot like that. We're going through the book of James, which looks a lot like Proverbs. It's like wisdom saying, wisdom saying, wisdom saying. So it's going to look like, where's she going? Because I'm talking about what James is talking about. I'm just taking you down the rhythm that he would actually take you. So if you're wondering why I'm going to the next thing, it's because James did. So there's that. I want to talk to you today about our heart posture. So um, there's this scripture in John, it's John 14, 15. It says, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. However you say that depends on how your heart takes it. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. That sounds a little harsh, right? A little off-putting, like obey me. But if you say, if you think about the part, if you love me, if your heart is for me, if you have wholehearted devotion toward me, then you'll obey me. It won't even be hard because your heart is for me. So that's kind of the heart posture we have to go into today when you're looking at James, because if you look at it without a good heart posture, you kind of feel like you've gotten kicked in the rear. So that's, that's where we are. Um, our, I live in this family of adventure seekers. They love to go out and explore and um, they love theme parks and roller coasters and will ride everything. I like art museums. I just kind of want to see stuff. I kind of want to look at stuff. I've got some of my art museum buddies in here. Um, but that's just kind of where we're so different. They love adventure, and I just love to see. I just want to see things. And um, I, I went one day with my brother, and we took our kids to Six Flags over Texas. And they were little at the time, just tall enough to be able to ride all the rides. And... They had ridden everything all day. I was the bag holder. And my daughter runs up to me, and there was one more ride of the day. It was Mr. Freeze. It's a huge, very terrifying, very fast roller coaster. And she said, can I ride it? And she looked at me. I looked her in the face, and there was blood running down her nose. It's like, uh, no, I think you're done. I think you're pretty good. Um, uh, I, you know, that was just too much for her body, right? It's just too much adventure, too much roller coastering. <laughs> but, uh, but I gotta ask you today, do you feel like your life is on that kind of roller coaster where metaphorically your nose is bleeding, your body is pushed to its absolute limit because it's just up and down. It's so fast. Your life is constantly in motion. So I want, I want to see, is, does your roller coaster look like this? Do you know this roller coaster? Tasmanian Tiger from Lowry Park Zoo. It's not very up and down, right? Some of you might be a little more steady in some areas. And then some of you, your areas look like this, like Montu at Bush Gardens. And, and what I'm asking is physically, how are you doing on your roller coaster? Do you feel sick? Do you feel healthy, healthier than normal? Um, do you have an illness, a pain? An invisible illness that you feel that no one else can see or understand for the most part. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Where are you physically on your roller coaster? And what size is it? Where are you emotionally? Where are you spiritually? Um, I like to look at it as if you're going through a state of harmony, disharmony, and repair. If you look at your relationships like that or your emotional state, harmony to disharmony to repair. 
And where we get in trouble is when we get stuck in the disharmony and refuse to go to repair. And we all know what that looks like. So I'm incredibly drawn to the book of Proverbs. And that's where we're going. That's why I fell so in love with James is because it's these wisdom sayings and truths that he put together. He didn't write it as a letter like, hey, I'm sending out this letter to you. He took all the major wisdom sayings that he had from the development of the early church and he put them together to send them out to the dispersed Jews, um, uh, Christian Jews that had been dispersed among the nations. So, oops, I think I hit Okay. Um, so he was the brother of Jesus, leader of the church in Jerusalem after the death and resurrection of Jesus. uh, Jesus. That's really important to know because he wasn't before. He was respected and wise for the decisions that he made. And he was a friend to Peter and Paul. His wisdom was as useful then as it is today. This book is so important. It's only five chapters. You can go home and read it in minutes today because you have to really see the whole picture. It's not today, there's so much information. I can't give you every single scripture and take you through everything, but you're gonna go you know, through a journey and he's gonna give you the nugget that you have for today. James was concerned with daily living in God's creation and making sure you understand what Jesus said was so important, that the love of the Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He wants to focus on how you speak to others, serving the poor and what you do with your finances, living with wholehearted devotion to the Father. So we're going to go to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's like this paradox, paradoxical gift where you go, I'm going through this trial. I'm going through this thing so that you can become whole. Doesn't that seem odd? Why can't I just be whole? Why do I have to feel like I've been pushed to the brink where blood's coming out of my nose? You know, it just feels frustrating. But it's the truth of the, the matter that God can do any work inside of you in the midst of suffering to help you become mature and complete. How are you handling the trials in your life today? Being in trial is a little bit like eating baking soda. Anybody ever tried to do that? Just eat baking soda straight? It's disgusting, right? It's nasty. No one wants to do that. No one wants to be in trial like that. But let's just say you put it together with these other things, and then you get something great, right? Brownies, waffles, cake. You get these great things. So it's not looking at the the thing. It's not looking at the ingredient. It's what comes after. What comes in the end? It depends on where your focus is. And the question is, can you have joy in the midst of that? So James chapter five, verses 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessing, as blessed, those who have persevered, You have heard of Job's perseverance 
and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And the Lord, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. We live with patience and hope that he will set things right. And what he's saying here is to find those who have gone before you. So if you don't have anybody in person, he's saying, go to Job. Look at how he persevered. But I guarantee you know someone who's gone before you. You know, my husband and I, we've been married 20 years. There's a lot of ups and downs in a 20-year marriage. A lot. So I'm talking to people. I'm asking them questions. I have an 18 and a 15-year-old. I want to know, how are they empty nesting? What do they do? What does it look like when you eat breakfast? What does it look like when you make dinner? How does your life go? What kind of conversations do you have? I'm asking all of these questions because they have gone before me. They know the pitfalls. They know the mistakes that are happening. I'm going to make my own mistakes, but maybe I won't make the same ones they made because I'm asking. We all have access to these people with great wisdom. We have the Bible filled with this great wisdom. And, you know, one of, our, one of the things we have access to is Jeremy's parents. Because they have this amazing gift of speaking truth in love to me and to Jeremy. It's embarrassing to call them and say, hey... I'm feeling super selfish, I'm feeling super frustrated, but I feel free to them. They're not gonna judge me. They're gonna encourage me to walk toward Jesus in faith. We've gotta have those people in our life that we call them up and tell them the embarrassing stuff, even if it's your in-law. Like, that's just the way it is. So, James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. People are much more fractured than they want to admit, but God's on a mission to make them whole. It begins with wisdom. When um, God will give us this wisdom, if we will ask him in faith without doubting his character, it can be out out of reason to be happy in the midst of trials. And this is why we must ask for wisdom. We must ask for wisdom with faith that God will grant us the wisdom through his grace. God's calling us to have faith in his character because he doesn't want us to be double-minded. He doesn't want us to um, be unstable in our own ways because there is a way of worldly wisdom. That way of worldly wisdom looks like what we do when when we have envy and selfish ambition. So we're looking at things and we're like, how can I get ahead? How can I do more? That's worldly wisdom. But that ends in failure because we have despair because worldly wisdom doesn't work out. True wisdom tells us that God is good despite my circumstances. And we have to view hardships as gifts that force us to trust God alone. So the next step, when you're reading James, he's talking about wealth. He's talking about judgment. He breaks all these things down. And he wants to know what you're doing with your money because you need to understand that wealth is fleeting. You don't get to take it with you. It's like a wildflower when the sun beats down and it withers because that's why it's so important. He said, true religion is this, that you take care of widows and orphans, that we help those who are in need because we don't get to take it with us. There's no reason to hoard. But I can't tell you how to wisely spend your money. I can tell you what the word says, but I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and saying, hey, this is how I want you to help. He's given you that nudge. 
He's given you that heart toward the orphan or the heart toward the widow or the heart toward the homeless or those in slavery. He's already given that to you. The question is whether you move with that, whether you are moved by that or you're more moved by worldly wisdom, which is envy and selfish ambition. The scripture in James that goes with that is James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 and 8 and 9. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the laws and lawbreakers. Do you show partiality when dealing with people? Are you a respecter of persons? Jeremy and I are former retail managers, and so we know what good customer service looks like. And we will walk into a place and it's pretty much guaranteed. I haven't done any science behind it or math, but they're going to greet Jeremy and they're not going to greet me. And they're going to make sure that he's got everything he needs, which is interesting because I'm really sweet and I'm really easy to talk to. So, um, but I, I come to my own conclusions. Why? It looks like he's into fashion. True. I'm not. He's totally into fashion. The beard is a great conversational topic. They want to talk about that. In my own judgment, this is my issue. I think they don't look at me or want to help me because of my size. Because they're thinking, well, you won't fit in anything in in here anyway. And then I leave the store and I feel rejected. But that's not the way God calls us to look on people. And the first step is to see ourselves the way that God sees us. That's the first step. If we see ourselves the way God sees us and we love ourselves, then we're able to love others. We're able to see them for the heart of who they are, who they are, not like them and have more value for them because they're fit and not have more value for them because they have nice clothes or a nice car or a nice house. That stuff doesn't matter. That's not what God sees when he sees them. He looks at the heart of exactly who they are. And that's what he's calling us to do. Is it easier for some than others? Yeah. I have a heart of compassion for people. It's probably a little bit easier for me. And you might have to try harder, but the Lord's calling us all up to this standard to live like this. Okay. Um. Recently, and this is one of the things that was pretty hard about this, is recently I was pretty hurt by someone. And Pastor Tommy said, do you reflect Jesus when you see people? And I thought, oh my gosh, this one person, I don't know if I can, but I want to. But I don't know if I can. And that was really interesting for me. And I remember before I even left service, before communion was over, I was like, I am going to. I don't know how, but God's going to show me how in that moment. I don't even know when it's going to happen. When am I ever even going to see this person again? And when it happened, when it did happen, it was like the Lord just opened the door for me in the most authentic 
and genuine way show his love and see their heart. And that was God. That was like letting God say, okay, I can show you how to reflect me to that person. That's how we walk out of here and we take the things that Tommy's trying to teach us every week and we make it real in our, in our life. We make it real for what's happening. We need to choose life while we're on this roller coaster. Instead of blaming God and allowing our circumstances, let's allow our circumstances to teach us what Jesus told us about God's character, that he's generous. The Father is generous. He's there to meet us in our pain and our frustration and that he's trustworthy because we forget that he's trustworthy. We forget. We forget that he's generous because we're frustrated and we're in these trials and they, we don't know what's happening at the end, but what the word promises us, and it was on the scripture earlier, that there's a crown that follows this trial. This aids in our happiness, is what the scripture tells us, if we keep going, keep persevering, because there's a crown coming. And the thing is, you don't know why that trial is happening. And you don't know what the crown will be. Is it for the love of your child or the love of your neighbor? Or is it for you? You don't know. The, the scriptures tell us that we can't blame our sin on others. That it is about what's in our heart. It's about us. It's about our internal motivations. And Adam and Eve is a great example of this. You know, they would, uh, she made me do it. He made me do it. Right? So taking responsibility for our own actions is step one. In the end, you choose exactly what you're doing. It's your internal motivations. We can't say somebody else made us do it because in the end, you choose. We take responsibility for our actions. And that's why I love this scripture. It is actually my life verse. It's Deuteronomy 30, 19, and 20. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. We don't like to think of heaven and earth as watching. We don't like to think of that. We think that we're all by ourselves making the choices that we're making, and they don't affect anyone else. But this scripture actually tells you the exact opposite. They're watching, and if you have children, you know you're being watched. They absolutely do what you do, what, what you do not what you say to do. And sometimes you make a choice so that you live so that your descendants might live. It's not necessarily just about you, it's about them. It's about your legacy. It's about what, what comes after. But the point is, is that you get to choose. You choose that. You choose your legacy. There's a major difference. I love this word. It's thriving. There's a major difference between living and thriving and simply not dying. And how many of you in the room are just going, I'm just, I'm just not dying. That's it. I'm just, I'm hanging on by the grip of my fingernails and that's the best I have right now. That's the best I can do. 
And that's when we have to step into repair and we have to choose life. And if you can't choose it for yourself, I encourage you to get with somebody and let them help you. Let them help you choose life. This is a difficult one. And you remember what we're doing is we're going from one wisdom to the next wisdom to the next wisdom of James. He wants to know what is coming out of your mouths. What words are you speaking? James 1, 19 and 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. When we're wise in our own eyes, we don't hear the word of God. We speak first in our haste. We impede God's speech by our unwillingness to be silent. But as long as wrath rules, we can't hear his wisdom. That's why we have to allow ourselves time to be in calm silence where we're not reactive and saying, this is what I think. This is what I know. What does God think? What does God know? What is he saying? How is he leading you? So there's these contemplative practices that kind of go against our culture, which is to be silent, to be in solitude, and to be still. How natural is that for you guys? Not very, not very natural, because we're so busy. We're either listening to podcasts or audiobooks or music or watching TV or playing video games, or we're working all the time and constantly thinking. That's why we have to slow down. I'm a talker. I'm a natural talker. So the contemplative practice that I practice the most is silence. And every quarter, I have a 24-hour silent retreat where I don't speak to anyone. And the kids leave or I, or I leave and I go somewhere. I invite people over and we all, it's just silence. It's the most amazing thing because I don't have to worry about taking care of the other person. I'm not asking them what they need. I'm just asking the Lord what he wants for me where he wants me to go, what he would like to speak to me in this moment. That's, that's tough, but it's a challenge because we've got to get calm. There's a lot of anger going on, but we have to get calm before him to hear what he has to say. James 5.12 says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, I love the way he talks to you. It's so sweet, my brothers and sisters, because he's always about to say something pretty like, mm. Um, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Because you give your yes, but does it matter? Are you held accountable to your yes? Who holds you accountable to your yes? Or are you like, oh, I don't really want to. I said yes, but whatever. No. Let's be accountable to our yes and our no. Sometimes you say yes impulsively. Stop that. Just say, hey, I'm going to get back with you. And then get back with them and say, yes, I can or no, I can't. And sometimes it's open-ended, you know, like, hey, I'm going to do this. And there's no like, hey, you want to get together for coffee? What does that even mean? Put a date on it. Or don't say it. Because... You want to be accountable to these things. Put a date on it or don't. Like, just don't even bring it up. 
And that's really hard for us to do because a lot of times we say yes or we say these things because it's like a judgment or a non-judgment zone. We say yes because we want you to like us or we want to make you feel good in that moment. But actually, what if you listen to the Holy Spirit that's inside of you and you said yes to the things that the Holy Spirit wants you to do and then you said no to the things that didn't that didn't fit what the Holy Spirit wanted you to do. There's no judgment. You're not judging another person for saying, hey, the Holy Spirit told you to do that. You feel good about doing that? Well, I don't like that. No, you listen to the Holy Spirit for yourself and they do. And then you hold yourself accountable to your yes. When I ask somebody to do something and they say yes, I don't feel bad for holding them accountable to their yes. They could have said no. And that's, what, that's where we all have to get to that place. That's what James is encouraging us to do. It's to just be accountable to that. And to not manipulate people with our yes or our no. And to be able to be the church because everybody knows the thing that they're supposed to do. James 3, 9 and 10 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Now this is interesting. Jeremy and I, we we lived in Tulsa. Uh, We weren't married at the time. I think this was the day of our very first kiss. We went to church. It's probably why I remember what they said. Um, But they talked to us about how wives would come to church and that they would wonder from the pastor, why can't we get our husbands to come? And he would say, well, how do you treat them when you get home? You know, you come here and you worship the Lord. All this praise and worship and love for each other. And when you get home, do you nag? Do you complain that he didn't come? Do you point out every single thing that he's doing wrong? Well, that answers your question for you, doesn't it? And that right there, I I thought... I know what kind of wife I want to be. And it's not the dripping faucet kind. I want to be the encouraging, loving um, wife for Jeremy. Um, And years later, my kids, my son was in fifth grade, or sorry, he was in kindergarten. He was five years old. And I um, heard this thing called complaintfreeworld.org. Have any of you guys ever heard of that? They will send you a free bracelet and... What the goal is, is to keep the bracelet on the same hand for 30 days. But every time you complain, criticize, or gossip, you have to move it to the other hand. Right. First time I had it on. Now, granted, I've already been practicing not being the dripping faucet, right? I got in the car with Jeremy and I thought, I have no words. There were no words that I was like, huh, is that complaining? Yeah. Is that critical? Yeah. Wow. Is that gossipy? Yeah. Seriously, what words to speak when you can't say those? Well, now they've added sarcasm, so we're in real trouble. (laughs) That's tough. It's tough. But, you know, guys, my son graduated this year. I still haven't done it, but I'm still trying. I broke the first bracelet in like seven days. It popped right off. Um, So that is... He, what he's saying is, is what coming out of your mouth intentional? Are we praising the Lord and then cursing others? And I think cursing others is criticizing, gossiping, 
complaining. That's the cursing. So I just want to mention, I just want to say, it, some of these things can feel like you feel ashamed because that's what you're doing. But that's not of the Father. He never puts shame on you. Conviction is different. With conviction, you look at the Father and you say, what do you want me to do? Because I want to live wholeheartedly for you. What do you want me to do? What step do you want to take? How do you want me to be intentional with my words? With my silence? With looking at others through the heart that you see them? So if you're feeling shame today, let's, let's just break free of that. James didn't want that for you. Okay. Hold on one second. The, the next scripture is James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and don't do it, that is sin for them. Think about that. If you know the good that you ought to do and you're not doing it, that's sin for you. Guys, I don't drink. Because, and I don't think drinking is a sin. I don't drink because I cannot do it. I love it. I think it's awesome. I think it's like the best thing. It smells great. You know, it tastes great. I like all the things. I stopped drinking when I was 19 years old. That sounds really bad. We don't want to talk about when I started drinking. Um, I'm from Texas. What can I say? I don't know. Um, But here's the thing is that Jeremy, if he was taking a drink, he still will ask me, hey, does this bother you? Because if it does, he wouldn't do it. But it doesn't bother me. But he still checks in with me because he needs to. Because for me, it's sin. We all have these things where God is speaking to us and say, hey, don't do that. And you're like, well, the Bible doesn't say I can't. But God's told you, you can't. That's sin for you. And if you know, if you have a friend, Tommy talks about this all the time, I love it. Don't be a speed bump for that person. If they can't do that thing, don't go do it in front of them if they can't handle it. But I can think of all the things, drinking, drugs, porn, affairs. It's all these things, but God is speaking to you specifically about what is sin for you, what you shouldn't do. And it's hard because why? Worldly wisdom. I I want to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. That's tough. There are, he does talk about these different kinds of wisdom that, that are there. There's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. Hold on one second. James 3, 13, 17 through 18. Who is wise among you? Let them show it by their good, de- by their good life. By deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. We can't just say, 
what's right. We have to do it. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace and reap a harvest of of righteousness. Wisdom is pure, it's peace-loving, it's considerate, it's submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Look at those words. And I think as an American culture, we look at them and we see weakness. We look at that and we say, hey, this godly wisdom, that to me is weak. But um, I will tell you, I will tell you as a woman, as a wife, as a lover of the Lord, as a mother, this takes strength. This takes sacrifice and dedication to live in wisdom like this. Because it's not about getting your own way. And that's tough. But when we live with wholehearted devotion to the Father, we say, what does your wisdom look like? And that's when we're going through the trials and we say, his wisdom looks like this. I'm going to trust his character. I'm going to trust his faithfulness and that he's generous to me. Um, Communion servers, if you guys want to go ahead and head back. James ends with prayer. James 5, 13 and 14. If anyone among you is in trouble, let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church and pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. That seems scary, that seems hard, but the crown comes after and we don't always see or understand. In closing, I just want to tell you one more story. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this roller coaster. This is the Texas Giant. Um, it was the biggest wooden roller coaster in Texas at that, at that time. <clears throat> and my parents, all my life, like growing up, we all took the same vacation, one week in Arlington, Texas, with our family, and we would go to Six Flags every single summer. And my parents would go, and they would ride the rides with us, and my dad would just say, hey, I'm going to ride the one ride that you're going to ride, the mini mine train. And he'd put his arm around me, and he would make me feel safe and protected as I was riding my one ride. Well, one year they said, well, I think you guys are old enough to go on your own. And I was terrified. It's like, okay. My brother is one of those who runs from coaster to coaster. I was like, okay, I can do it. I'll put on my big girl pants and I'll pretend to be brave all day long and we'll go do this. And as we went, I rode all the rides. I did all the things. At the very last ride of the day, we decided to go ride the Texas Giant. We saved it for last, the best for last. And when we showed up, guess who was there? Both of my parents. They had bought tickets to sit at the gate of the Texas Giant for an entire day. Remember, we didn't have cell phones then. I'm much older. They weren't tracking me. And they were so happy when they saw us. It wasn't like, where have you been? It was just joy. And you know why they came? 
so he could wrap his arm around me, my dad could wrap his arm around me and make me feel safe and protected while I rode the scariest ride known to man. He was full of godly wisdom that day. There wasn't any judgment for me. There wasn't any, hey, you're not living up to my expectations. He just saw me for what I needed. Church, we have the opportunity today to go be the church, to live like James is encouraging us to live, to love God and to love others. We have to love ourselves so that we can love others, to pray for, encourage, and be there for others, to honor God with our words and our deeds, our finances, and in our trials. Together, we can trust God and his character, and we can seek his wisdom. Father God, we love you this morning. We're so thankful for you and we need you. We need our eyes opened to the wisdom that you have for us and to know that it's true strength to trust in you. It's true strength to understand and know your character and to have faith in your character. God, for any of those in the room that are just hanging on, God, I pray that you would send people to be the hands and feet of Jesus to encourage them, to love them, to support them. And I pray that everyone has the will within them to choose life for yourself and to choose life so that your descendants might live as well. In your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. We're going to ask the Father how to respond today. Take a second before communion and pray for open ears and new eyes to see the way the Father sees. If you would like prayer, just go through the double doors, and the prayer room is on your left. Um, Bless you as we take communion together as a family. Amen.